0: Wednesdays at 5pm for Brainwaves. Melbourne's Drive
1: Time radio show. Giving voice to people with mental illness.
0: One in five have a mental illness, but five in five can enjoy this great program featuring heartwarming stories, great information and some laughs as well.
1: Find us at 3CR. 855 on your AM dial. Sponsored by Mental Illness.
2: Good afternoon all, Mark here. Uh, you, welcome to Brainwaves, uh, another exciting episode. So this afternoon we have uh, Brainwaves team members Kate and Kathy talking with Liam Leonard, the Director of the Gay and Lesbian Health Vic and Research Fellow at uh, Australian Research Centre in Sex, Health and Society at La Trobe University about mental health issues in the gay, lesbian and transgender gender community. <laughs> so welcome all. Hi, Mark. G'day. Hello, Leah.
1: Hi,
3: Mark.
2: Kathy, so let's get on.
1: So Liam, um, I understand that you're responsible for the Private Lives Mm -hmm. 2 report, which is one of only two reports, um, which are an extensive survey of LGBT people in Australia. Could you tell us a little about what that survey shows us about the mental health of... People in this community.
0: Thank you. Um, I should say that the words LG or the letters LGBT stand for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. Um, and perhaps make a distinction between lesbian, gay, bisexual and then transgender so the transgender respondents are people who um, are trans or gender diverse, they're people who are born unambiguously with one sex but profoundly identify with the other Um, and it includes a whole range of people Uh, the people who identify as lesbian, gay and bisexual are people who are attracted to people of the same sex and for bisexual people also attracted to people of the opposite sex. So the survey covers LGBT people and I make that Distinction because some of the data shows really distinct uh, variations in mental health within the LGBT community and particularly between trans people and people who identify as LGB. So I'll just leave that part on one side for the moment. The survey was run in 2012. It's a national survey. It's one of the largest of its kind run anywhere in the world. And we had nearly 4,000 respondents. Uh, It's the second one. The first one was done in 2006 and had 5,000 respondents. And what the 2012 survey showed and confirmed the results from the earlier survey is that LGBT Australians really um, experience particularly certain mental disorders, anxiety and depression, at much higher rates than the population as a whole. So, for instance, um, we know that if you use um, psychological measures, we used the K10 in this survey, which is a a measure of psychological distress, um, LGBT people reported much higher K10 scores, which is higher levels of psychological distress than um, the population as a whole. We also know from another national survey done in 2007, a national mental health survey, the first in Australia to include questions on sexual orientation and gender identity, um, that LGBT people suffer much higher rates of anxiety disorders, um, affective disorders and um, drug and alcohol related mental health disorders. So generally what you're getting a picture of is of a community with much higher rates of mental health disorders, not the pointy end mental health conditions, but of the things that we would argue are Um, as much to do with the environments they live in as anything intrinsic to themselves. Um, We also know from other studies, not from our own, that rates of attempted suicide are much, much higher among LGBT people, somewhere between 3.5 and 14 times the national averages. So you get a picture of a a fairly um, problematic set of mental health issues for this population that we argue are really still a consequence of ongoing discrimination against this population.
1: And what does the data show us about variations within the LGBT community?
0: Well, as I said, one of the major and, and stark differences is between trans people and people who identify as LGBT. Um, there are high rates, again, of those sorts of mental health problems, depression and anxiety. Um, we also know that among young Uh, people who identify as gay and lesbian, particularly 16 to about 21, uh, much higher rates of mental health issues than older LGB people. Over the lifespan, uh, the mental health of LGB people seems to drop away and approach the national averages, but for young people, it would suggest they're under intense pressure uh, in those years somewhere between 16, 15 and 21, a whole set of issues. We know that uh, rates are very different for bisexuals compared to people within the LGBT community who are exclusively attracted to people of the same sex and particularly for bisexual women. um, Again, higher rates within the community of mental health problems, anxiety, depression. We also see um, very different rates of service usage, among the population so uh, bisexual men and women actually use mental health services more than exclusively same-sex attracted people trans men and women use mental health services higher rates than lgb people so you see quite a lot of variation within the lgbt community as well so variation between the mainstream and the lgbt and then patterns within the lgbt community
1: and how do we understand these differences what type of dynamics are going on for example Hmm. to have 16 to 21-year-olds under such incredible pressure that they're presenting with mental health problems and this is levelling out by, I think, about the age of 65, isn't it?
0: Yes, it's somewhere between 55 and 65. There are lots of... I mean, there's an obvious explanation, it's the standard one, that um, a lot of these uh, mental health problems, particularly anxiety and depression, are just related to people's experiences of systemic discrimination. So the line runs that we still live in a society, even in Australia, that's quite homophobic and transphobic, um, and that what you see is um, people having to deal with that in their everyday lives. Um, So particularly for young people who are dealing with all of the issues around just coming to terms with being sexual beings, coming to terms with a whole set of things around gender and gender identity, that they're under particularly intense pressure in those years. So that explains it's one explanation for why that particular age group, as they're dealing with a whole set of other related issues, really, really feel issues around sexuality and gender identity in a profound way. Um, We also know that there are... The, the cross cutting differences within the community, the difference between lesbians, say, and bisexual women, and gay men, and bisexual men, are to do with the added pressure that women face around gender in our culture, regardless of whether you're LGBT or exclusively heterosexual. Mm-hmm. So we think that some of the differences in rates within the community are differences around gender, around um, a whole set of things around particularly very conservative gender roles that impact very differently on lesbians and bisexual women than on gay men and bisexual men. And then there are all the other differences. We notice differences which I haven't talked about around LGBT people who are affiliated with particular religious groups particularly those groups that are themselves still profoundly homophobic and transphobic and they're trying to negotiate their sexual and gender identities as well as their religious identity and we know that that puts increased pressure on them. There are issues around rurality versus um, LGBT people living in metropolitan areas. That's reflected in data more broadly. Uh, Increased rates of homophobia in some rural areas but not in others, I have to say, compared to the cities. Um, so there's a number of reasons, but a lot of the, the, the sort of generic explanation is saying that this population is subject to what I call heterosexist, homophobic and transphobic discrimination and abuse, and that can be compounded for some other populations within the LGBT community by other forms of discrimination, whether it's to do with gender or religious affiliation or where you live. So that's, how, that's the standard explanation.
1: And speaking as a woman, um, what are, what are some of the dynamics around gender identity in women? Because I noticed when I had a look at the survey, um, for example, that bisexual women had poorer mental health outcomes than um, gay and lesbian women and bisexual men. Well, one of the ways
0: I, th- I mean, this is a, an interesting question. We, we can't answer that question definitively from from our data i'm
1: just fascinated to know what some of the dynamics might be that are going on here um
0: some people argue that um uh, bisexuals face discrimination from within the 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 gay and lesbian and trans community themselves Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a standard line that you know and and it, it it is a form of discrimination internal to to our community that um gay and lesbians in some sense don't necessarily make Bisexual people feel at home in that community, that they feel that um, they still have access to heterosexual privilege. So it all becomes quite complicated. Layered on top of that, of course, bisexuals are facing issues around um, discrimination against people who are same-sex attracted in the broader community. So at an overall level, that's one explanation for why rates are higher among bisexuals. The difference between bisexual men and women, I think, is to do with the compounding issues that women face around gender roles. And the we seem to live, in, I would argue, in an increasingly conservative age the last 20 years at least around gender. And there's been a real narrowing and reinvention of very conservative roles for women. And I think that puts intense pressure on women who identify as bisexual to sort of perform their femininity in fairly characteristically feminine ways, um, not to identify overly with forms of femininity that aren't socially sanctioned, um, to present their same-sex attraction in certain contexts in certain ways but not in others in a way that doesn't happen for bisexual men and for gay men where their gender roles are much I think conservative gender roles for men function very very differently I think for women they're almost inevitably linked to poorer mental health regardless of your sexual attraction I never say that as clearly as I'd like
2: it was pretty it was (laughs) pretty
0: good Yeah, yeah
1: yeah um Could you speak a little bit more to the way in which you believe that gender roles have become more conservative over the last 20 years and its pressure on women? Could you give us a concrete example of what you're talking about here?
0: Well, uh, that's an interesting question, can I? I think you just have to look at the presentations of women in public life again. The I remember someone pointing out that um, there are very few senior women now with short hair. It's like we're reinventing very, very conservative roles for women at the same time as women are nonetheless taking up and have anyway public roles in larger degrees. So there seems to be some notion about women's public presentation in the last 20 years conforming to very, very narrow, stereotypic, I would call heterosexual, but that's just one way of framing it, um, a traditional, in, in, at the very least. Yes, yes. Mm. yeah. in a way that's really quite different from the 70s and 80s, where there seemed to be much more variability in public presentation. And I think that goes hand in hand with a, a reinvention of very conservative roles for men, but I think it just carries so much... It's so much more limiting, those gender roles for women. Right. Um, so I think a whole set of things around sexual expression, around bisexuality of women for lesbianism, they become more problematic when the public presentation of women becomes much more conservative Again. And I think that just places women under intense pressures Putting that men squeeze don't on face. Women. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And could you tell us a little bit more about the differences in the mental health outcomes that, for um, trans people? Well, we,
0: we know that the rates of um, self harm among trans people are much higher, not not from the private life study, but from a number of international studies. We know that some of the the sort of much broader pressures around mental ill health, things like socioeconomic disadvantage we know for trans people who undergo um, gender reassignment, which would include um, hormonal treatments, but right through to um, um, surgical interventions, that people who do that in their work environments um, experience intense pressure and a lot of them find themselves dropping out of the workforce. Through stigma? Oh, yes, yes, and through just discomfort, through work colleagues who simply can't place this person who they once knew one way in the new context. Mm. It's a lot of pressure. And we find that uh, a a significant percentage of people who go through transition actually end up falling out of the workforce. So they're just added pressures because um, um, economic insecurity, a sense of not belonging, all of those things increase your risk of certain forms of mental ill health. Um, So there's some of the pressures on trans men and
1: women. Would it be true this this was This is just my perception, and it could be wrong, but I was talking to a gay colleague at, at work at my fellowship, and I said, Who is gay and i said look it 's like um gay is acceptable now it 's w- gay or lesbian is more acceptable now it 's water off a duck 's back more, but there seems to be um um, a disconnect with trans men and women where there doesn't seem to be the same level of education and understanding and 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 activism that that you you 're going to have more intense levels of discrimination harassment verbal abuse.
0: Mm. I mean, it's true within the LGBT community over the last 10 years, um, there's been increasing visibility of trans and gender diverse uh, issues and representation. But those groups are massively underfunded. They still run on volunteer labour in a way that some of the gay and lesbian organisations don't. Mind you, are not well funded. Um, and I do think you're seeing um, an increased visibility. So I think you're right. I think historically, trans and gender diverse issues have simply have not got the same level of support and visibility. But that's changing. Some of the trans advocates now, uh, they're incredible, they're public, Uh, young people, the the gender diverse young people we work with through some of our programs, and the number of young people who are identifying as gender diverse is increasing all the time. So there really is a a sea change, both in visibility and I think in the confidence of some of these people to, to talk about and expect, in fact, Um, that they be heard and that they get better treatment and that their their issues are better understood Um, and also that uh, they figure in policy more than Mm -hmm. they did. So, yeah, I think you're right up to a point, but I do think things are changing quite dramatically.
2: Well, just take a quick break now. Uh, We'll be back in, uh, in just a few minutes after this community service announcement.
3: Is something worrying you? Need someone to talk to you? having trouble at work or at home. Call WIRE, Women's Information, on 1300 134 130, Monday to Friday, 9am to 5pm. Talk to a woman who cares. It's free and confidential Victoria-wide. You can talk to us about anything. You can also talk to us in your own language through our telephone interpreter service. So call WIRE on 1300 134 130, or visit wire.org.au. Wire is a 3CR supporter.
2: Welcome back to Brainwaves on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. What is it? It's about 5.17 and... uh, Kate and Kathy, the Brainways team members, myself, Mark, uh, twiddling the knobs and dials, uh, with uh, Liam Leonard, director of the Gay and Lesbian Vic Health and research fellow at the Australian Research Centre in Sex, Health and Society at La Trobe Uni, about mental health issues, particularly in the gay and lesbian and transgender community. So, welcome back, or We'll get back into our conversation.
3: Okay, so Liam, so. Um, What's going on to address um, LGBT people's poorer mental health in terms of research policies, programs and services? Um, there's
0: quite a bit going on both at a state and at a federal level. There's a peak body called the National LGBTI Health Alliance, um, who represent, I think might be something like 160 organisations across the country. And over the last three years, they've developed a program called Mind Out. And it was a series of uh, mental health interventions for LGBT people, including some research, uh, a webinar series that was national, two training packages, one for clinicians and one for mental health care workers more broadly, raising their awareness of LGBTI mental health issues. And they've also developed a champions program now where they go into organisations and they try and find one or two people who may themselves be LGBT or may actually have an understanding and support the community who then work within that organisation. So it's been quite a a successful uh, mental health intervention is how I think of it. Um... In Victoria, we, um, GLHV, in partnership with the Youth Affairs Council of Victoria, who are the peak body for for youth in Victoria, we manage something called the Healthy Equal Youth Project, the HAY Project, um, which is a $4 million initiative that's about to end in June this year at the moment, um, of seven agencies that work with what I call queer young people, if I can pull all the letters together momentarily. and it was funded out of mental health and youth suicide prevention money. So we do work into schools. We do work with Rainbow Network, which is around uh, workers who work with queer young kids. We do work with Minus18, which is a representative body for young people, queer young people 18 and under. There are seven agencies. And we've worked together to try and create a really a, a capacity within the mainstream youth sector to deal with the issues affecting what we would call same-sex attracted and sex and gender diverse young people, so slightly different terminology. And as part of that project, last year we also rolled out training to all of Headspace offices across Victoria, and we're hoping that if we can get another three-year funding for the project, we can grow that. So that's been quite an amazing initiative. there's also a number of research projects funded by Beyond Blue and the Movember Foundation. Private Lives 2 is one of them. They were our major funders for Private Lives 2 and they've also funded uh, some smaller projects on building up some online tools for self-assessment for depression and anxiety for, for gay men and lesbians. They funded uh, a project from, uh, run by Ruth McNair at Melbourne University on uh, problematic drinking among lesbians, queer and bisexual women. So there is there are things going on in the sector in all sorts of different places. um, And we'll see how it goes. Uh, We would love to get in for training for for GPs and mental health uh, professionals. And um, we're starting to think about how we might do that.
3: And can you see like the results from all these sort of um, programs um, you know, being affected in all like aspects of society, can you see the results?
0: It's an interesting question because at the moment um, we run on really, really small amounts of money, so we don't, we haven't built in um, elaborate evaluation. But that that we would like to do, we have a small evaluation of the hay project that's being done, and that'll be delivered to the government mid this year. We're not doing it an independent evaluator, but it's very hard to assess those broad social changes, which in part is what these programs are about. But we just do know the work that Safe Schools Coalition does into schools, and it's one of the Hay Project partners, we know that... Uh, just from um, fairly simple before and after evaluation, that particularly the young people talk about shifts in school culture, feeling more at home, less homophobic and transphobic language. We know that teachers talk about changes in school culture. Uh, and we also know that from the Hay Project, cause there are seven agencies and they all provide different types of services, we know from young people that they are starting to learn that if I'm part of a same-sex or transgender support group, and I need a mental health referral, they're feeling confident they can get referred to a Headspace office that has done training. Or they can be lo- we can contact their school and see whether they've got uh, safe schools in the school doing anti-homophobia and uh, anti-transphobia and diversity work. Mm. So I think... How we assess the effectiveness will be an ongoing issue, but when we look at individual programs within, say, something like Hay Project, I think we do see real improvements. And when we look at um, improvements across um, the broader society, I do think we're seeing changes in attitudes of which some of this work is contributing to. It'd be very hard to assess.
3: Yep. But so far from, like, the grassroots, you can see that it's opening up, like, um, just making not just the LGBT community being more open-minded but just other parts of the, you know, community, like they're becoming more understanding and opening to... That's, that's what I think yeah. is
0: happening. How how you... What the measure of that is, um, there are huge national surveys we do, uh, we don't do, um, Morgan Gallup used to do them, asking very simple questions around degrees of homophobia... Um, and it was interesting to see different states, different areas, rural, regional. Melbourne was one of the least homophobic places in the in the country, and we yeah, think Melbourne. it's <laughs> we think it's because it's had a long history of this work. Um, we also know from a very large study called Writing Themselves In, which um, is study a study done national study of same sex attracted and gender questioning young people. It's been done three times since 1998. The last one was done in 2010. We know from that study that. Um, queer young kids in Victoria are doing better than in any other state. And that survey was the first to ask whether they were at schools that had implemented some of these anti-homophobia and anti-transphobia policies, which had only been conducted in Victoria. And we found that in those schools where young people said, yes, my school has introduced these policies queer young kids were less likely to harm themselves less likely to drop out of school so I think that's a sign that these interventions at that level are having a real effect on making those schools that take them up Mm. um, more supportive and those kids Mm. feeling more at home and I think the national survey shows that you can see that at a state-based level these young kids in Victoria are doing better than in other states that didn't have the program so that's Again, it's not absolute evidence, but I think it suggests that these programs really are changing it's, cultural and social it attitudes. sounds
2: really hopeful, and 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 this sort of sense of acceptance, broadening acceptance, and and integration, and uh, yeah, yeah, interconnectedness is one of the things that certainly goes with mental health. No yes,
0: yes, back. and and you know, one of the things for a lot of LGBT people um, historically, but even con- the people who are under intense pressure is that until they come out, um, not being able to express a fundamental part of who you are already leads to some social isolation yeah. and disconnection, and we all know that. Mm. Uh, and these programs and changing the broader culture makes it much more, not easy, it's the wrong word, There's lots of people still have a lot of issues, but it, it makes that, that movement out just seem less frightening and yeah. scary. Um, and if you know there are supports at your school, even if you don't choose to use them at any particular time, it just decreases that intense pressure and, and anxiety that I think particularly young people feel, but also older LGBT people.
3: So, um, Liam, tell us about um, Rainbow Tick uh, program GLHV has developed with quality innovation performance for services to be accredited as LGBTI-inclusive.
0: That's very well said.
3: I think you might have read that.
0: (laughs) 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 I can't even remember all of that. Um, One of the things we've been working on for the last three years is is developing a a set of standards by which At the moment, health and community services can be formally accredited as LGBTI inclusive. So at the moment, you might go to a service and and see um, a rainbow sticker on the window, and that might mean that there's a, a sympathetic LGBT staff member, or they've done a bit of training. The Rainbow Tick takes it into a completely different space. It's part of service accreditation that all services have to go to, and we've built up a separate module where a service can go through formal accreditation of all its procedures, from front end through to posters through to community consultation, through to training, to show that all its processes and procedures are LGBTI-inclusive. And it's done by a national accrediting body called QUIP. Um, and we've developed the, the six standards with QUIP and uh, over the last year, seven agencies in Victoria have gone for the we call it the Rainbow Tick, and they get a formal it's um, it's it, it's it's a certificate of registration saying that they are LGBTI inclusive, and we're hoping that the more agencies we can get on board, which means that your whole agency is LGBTI inclusive, we can build up a national registry, and it would be very good if we could get mental health agencies involved, because there are such profound issues as I said from the data for LGBT people Um, aged care services we've had two or three that have got the rainbow tick. And what that says to an LGBT consumer is you come into this service and this service has considered you in every part of what it delivers, from professional care to data entry to confidentiality, they will have an LGBT community reference group, you know that that agency has absolutely considered your needs across every part of its service. So we think it's, it's a world first to go um, and try and create LGBTI inclusivity at, this, at the level of accreditation. And you have to pay for it. So it's a formal <laughs> process. We don't do the accreditation. Quip do that. We just own the six standards that agencies are against. And that's what we're calling the Rainbow Tick.
2: Well, look, uh, we are unfortunately running out of time. And, uh, and I'd just like to thank you, Liam, for, for, your, um, for your wonderful insights in, into this really complex area. and. Uh, I just, on a personal note, I'd like to say I uh, really appreciate your enthusiasm and clarity about this. It's wonderful to see people like you working in such a difficult area. And uh, more strength to your arm, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank
0: you. And thank you to the two Ks. <laughs> <laughs> two Ks. <laughs>
2: Let's not forget about Kathy and, and Kate who have uh, done a Leo. wonderful job. And uh, look, uh, I guess uh, the first, uh, what I'd like to say is um, is you can listen to the podcast of this show, and certainly I encourage encourage people to uh, go to iTunes, or you can also get them at 3cr.org.au. You can send us feedbacks or thoughts, uh, or your thoughts, and just get in contact with us, especially if you have a story, suggestions, or a topic you'd like to share. Email us at brainwaves at mifellowship.org, or post to Brainwaves at 3CR, Post Office Box 1277, Collingwood, Victoria, 3066. Uh, Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in to 3CR next Wednesday at 5pm for another episode of Brainwaves. Stay tuned now for Renegade Economists coming up next on 3CR. So until next week, it's goodbye...